You're listening to the sermon podcast by Southside Baptist Church in Florence, South Carolina. We exist to know God and to make Jesus known. For more up-to-date information, check us out at southsidenow.church. Father, in this moment, I say thank you. Father, I thank you for the blood that was applied in my life and in the life of my brothers and sisters. Father, just in this moment, I pray that we would all pause and really, really be reminded of what that statement means. What that truth truly means in our lives, Father, to know, Father, that we were lost and dying, destined for hell. And you in your grace and in your mercy and in your providence, Father, gave your son Jesus, who left his throne in heaven, not considering equality with God something to be grasped, but lowering himself, Father, into this world, taking on the flesh of this world, Father, and living a perfect life and dying a sacrificial death and rising powerfully on the third day, Father, conquering sin and death so that the blood might be applied to our life and we can stand before you freely forgiven. And so, Father, would we marvel at that this morning and know that this is who you are and this is your love for us. Father, in this very moment, I would pray that if there's someone in this room that doesn't even know that love in this moment, would you work in their hearts and in their minds right now? Father, would you work among us this morning as we open your word together as your people? Would you lead and guide us by your grace, by your mercy, by your Holy Spirit? And Father, we thank you again for Jesus and the beautiful work that you've done in our lives by and through him. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. So good to see all of you this morning. I am so excited to be here this morning. It's been a wonderful week. It's been Times within the week that have been difficult, just as Kip has mentioned this morning within his family and within other families. And I just want to, as I begin this morning, I just want to say how proud I am to be your pastor. I've been around now since November and officially since January, but every time I am here, I am around you, I am among you, I see this church being the hands and feet of Jesus. Loving each other, caring for each other, showing each other what it means to encourage and love under Christ, submitting to Christ. And so I just want to say thank you for that and how proud I am to be your pastor and to see how God is working here at Southside Baptist Church. It is my honor and it is my privilege. And so thank you. Thank you. And just praise God for you and thank God for you. I want to encourage you that if you're not officially a part of Southside Baptist Church, if you're not a church member, if you don't have a church home, and you're looking for a church home, on February the 4th, 
We're going to have a new members class during our connect group time, starting at 9.15, right around the corner in our choir room. If you don't know where that is, our greeters will take you there happily. But on February the 4th at 9.15, we're going to have a new members class. And in that class, we're going to meet and we're going to talk about our church. We're going to talk about what we believe as a church, as Baptists, what it is that we believe. And we're also going to talk about what it means to serve and be a part of the church and how you can do that at Southside Baptist Church. The identity of Southside within that and then you plugging in your identity within that and the good gifts and and talents that God has given you. And so Joshua and I will be there on that morning, February the 4th. Listen, if you come, doesn't mean you have to be a member, okay? If you want to come and just check it out, we'd love for you to come and check it out. But if you're looking and seeking church membership, we would love for you to come and be a part of that time that morning, just to learn what's going on at Calvary. Allow us to talk with you as pastors and look forward. Southside, I knew it. It took three weeks. Took three weeks. Yeah. Pray for forgiveness for me. Southside, Southside. I, I don't even do that at home. I knew, but I knew I was going to do it at some point. So, as my grandma used to say, "Bless my heart." All right, bless my heart. And uh, but we would love for you to come learn more about Southside and what God is doing here because God is working here. And I'm so very thankful. And so please put that on your calendar, February the 4th, if you have not become a church member and would like to discuss that further. We'd love for you to join us, okay? This morning, Kip read for us the Lord's Prayer there in Matthew 6. And we've been in a series over the last couple of weeks. We're going to finish up next week here. But we're, we're in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 5. And we're, we're asking questions as we look at prayer. And what it means to pray. And this week, we're going to look at a different question from what we looked at last week. And so I want to look at just one little portion of this passage this morning. And it's these words spoken by Jesus. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. When we write a letter, when we write an email, when we answer the phone, if we don't know who is on the other line, we ask this question, with whom am I speaking? And we understand when we're having conversations, whether it's in writing, whether it's through talking, That when we're having those conversations, in order to effectively communicate within our conversations, we need to know with whom we are speaking. I talk with my daughters differently than I talk with my wife. I talk with my buddies differently than I might with a, a business executive that I might be speaking with in the moment. Who we are having communication with gives us an understanding of our conversation. It gives context to our conversation, and it helps us in our approach to our conversation. And so, with whom we are communicating is very pertinent. It's a very pertinent piece of information when we are thinking about conversation. And this is true of our prayers, because in its essence... Prayer is a conversation with 
God. It's us talking with God. And so understanding that prayer is that conversation and understanding who God is in his essence is truly necessary as we approach God. And it is also marvelous as we come to the realization that we are welcomed into the presence of God through prayer. Right? I never want us to miss that marvelous thought right out of the gate as we think about prayer. Is that the very fact and truth that the holy God of the universe, as I just talked about last time, would call us into his presence to have conversation with him. And so we looked last week at why we should pray. Why should we pray? And we looked at seven reasons, seven ideas as to why we should pray. This week, we're going to ask this question. To whom? To whom should we pray? And right out of the gate this morning, I want to answer that question. Because I want to use the answer to that question as our navigational beacon this morning, okay? And so here's the answer. We pray to the Father, through the Son, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray to the Father, through the Son, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we read these words of Jesus right here as he began his prayer, modeling for us to whom it is that we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so as we begin to unpack prayer, what we begin to understand as we look at this question of to whom do we pray, we understand that there is a triune nature, meaning that all persons of the Trinity are involved. And to give reason why this matters this morning for us as children of God, I want us to look at this framework together, this framework that gives us a glorious picture of the glorious nature and work of who our God is and why this matters so much to our prayers. And so before we look at unpacking this statement, I want us to just spend a few moments unpacking the idea and the understanding of the persons of the Trinity. What does the Trinity Mean. I remember the very first time I wrapped my head or, began, or tried to wrap my head around the Trinity. It was at RAs, and I think I was at second grade, and my dad was actually teaching. And I think for the first time, my dad was like, all right, I'm done talking to you. Because I kept asking questions that night and asking questions, and my brain just could not comprehend what he was saying and understanding what was it he was trying to help me understand. And so I want us to ask that question this morning. What is the Trinity? And I'm really glad you asked that question because Trinity is not a word we will read within Scripture. However, it is a very much a biblically right word because historically the church for ages has used this word to describe who our God is. And so immediately within Scripture we learn the plurality of the Godhead. When we go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, right there as God is creating everything, we see this statement. God says, let us make man in our own image after our own likeness. And so we understand right here in this very moment, right in the opening 
portions of Scripture, God making known to us that there is something very special about his nature and about his essence. And it's that there's a plurality of persons who are a part of the Godhead. There's a plurality of persons when God speaks of himself within creation. And all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament, we see the triune work of our God in heaven. We see the multiple persons of the Godhead at work all throughout creation. And ultimately, Jesus in Matthew 28, 19, he gives us a full, true understanding of who these persons are within the Trinity as he tells us to go make disciples. And what does he tell us? To baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we are a monotheistic people, all right? That's just a big word that means we believe in one God, right? We believe in one God, and that God is manifested in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so I've heard it described this way by one of my favorite preachers, Dr. Robert Smith Jr. He says this, one plus one plus one equals one. And he says that's terrible math, but it's beautiful and wonderful theology. One plus one plus one equals one. And so what we understand from Scripture is that our God reveals himself as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit simultaneously while having distinct personal attributes, but never having difference in nature, essence, or being. And so I'll be honest, I've seen a lot of worldly models, illustrations, in trying to give illustration to these things that I am describing this morning. But to be frank, none of them really truly can show us the Trinity. There's a a little fault in all of those different models that we try to use, all those things that we try to show. And I believe there is a reason for this. You know why? It's a miracle. The triune nature of God is a miracle. Who he is, is a miracle. One God, three distinct persons, same nature. There is nothing else on this earth like this. And it is glorious. This is who our God is. And so the beautiful act within this thought is that before God created, God existed in three persons with himself. God has always been in fellowship, in relationship with himself. And so God was not bored in heaven. God was not sitting in heaven bored by himself, waiting and needing us. Instead, God was gloriously in fellowship with himself. And out of that glory came God's creation. And when we reflect God's image on this earth through relationships because God has always been a relational God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So he was relational with himself long before creation. It's who we're made to be because we're created in his image. What do we know in the New Testament? It tells us the greatest commandment. What is to love the Lord your God? With everything, 
And what's the second one? Love your what? Neighbor. See, God expects us to live in relationship because we are image bearers of him and he is a relational God. So just as, just as Joshua was talking this morning about evangelism, that's a part of those relationships. That's who we should be as God's people. If we are reflecting the image of God and living in relationship with others, the greatest thing we should want for anyone in this world is to know the saving love and power of Jesus Christ. If we understand what their life is without Christ, then there is nothing else in this world that we should desire more for them. And God says that you and I, reflecting his image, should be the ones who take that good news and message to them through relationships. So I'm going to be challenging us a lot as a church to move in that. To not keep this here among ourselves. But instead to build each other up and then to launch each other out each and every week into the streets of our neighborhoods and beyond with the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Knowing and believing that our God is still in the saving business. Knowing and believing that God changes hearts each and every day. And knowing and believing that we are humbly allowed to be a part of that. So God is relationally a God of relationships, and we get to live in that. And so as we pray, the gospel is rooted in our prayers. Every time we pray, we give a victory cry to God's salvation in our lives. Because we pray because of who God is. And so we see that the three persons of God matter within our prayers because of who God is and this gospel framework that is true every time we pray. And I believe understanding the gospel framework that we're looking at this morning will give more depth and more beauty to our prayers. And so the first person that we pray to is we pray to the Father. And so Jesus makes it very clear that this is to whom we pray. And we see when Jesus prayed throughout all of the Gospels, he prayed to the Father in heaven. And we see as Jesus clearly models for us, him instructing us as God's children. We talked about that a lot last week, being God's children. And this morning, I want to dwell even more there for just a moment, that our God, is our Father in heaven. And I want us to truly understand the beauty of this thought. Romans 8, 15 to 16 tells us this. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. As sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I get fired up every time I read these spirit-breathed words written by Paul. To know that I am a child of God. To know that each of you in Christ are children of God. We just talked about God creating everything. And that God, who is magnificent in power, 
That God who is ruling and reigning in all authority, that God who holds everything together in the palm of his hand, that God looks upon us and says, my child, my child. See, we live in the social media age. We're always updating our statuses. We're always looking at everyone else's statuses to see what's going on in their lives. Every day, people are looking for descriptions of what's going on in someone's life. Let me give you a status update today. You are a child of God. You are a child of God. No matter what happens today, no matter what happens tomorrow, or any other day, you and I, we are children of God. God. We approach the Father in heaven knowing that he has adopted us into his family. Ephesians teaches us in chapter 1. We talked about this Wednesday night in our men's Bible study. And I say exactly what Joshua says. If you're not a part of that midweek Bible study, ladies, on Tuesday night, 630 Ladies on 6.30 on Wednesday nights and men 6.30 on Wednesday nights. If you're not a part of one of those, you're missing out. An incredible time to dig into God's word and build relationships. And this past week, we looked at this idea in Ephesians chapter 1 that the God of the universe chose us in Christ Jesus before the foundations of the world so that we would be adopted into his family. Now, why does this matter? Why does it matter that you and I have been adopted into God's family? You're asking a lot of good questions this morning, okay? (laughs) I cannot tell you how many times I speak with someone who feels as though God is not engaged with their life. Or they may feel as though God is distant in their life. They may feel as though they have pulled away from God or God may have pulled away from them. Some of this, or some of us in this room may be thinking this right now in this very moment. Where are you, God? Are you near to me? Can you help me? These questions... All of these questions, they're lies from Satan in our lives. Because the reality of it is, I'm a father, and I'm a very imperfect one. A very imperfect father. But I've never pulled away from my children. I've never distanced myself from my children. I've never disengaged Myself from my children. And no, far, no, no matter how far my children try to run away from me, I can promise you I will never stop caring about them and loving them and doing everything in the world that I can for them. And I know each parent in this room feels the same way. And so using this logical understanding within my imperfections of who I am as a father, I know this, that if I love my children that way, then how much more does my heavenly father love me? And so hear me today. If you don't hear me say anything else today, God loves you. 
and he's with you. No matter the circumstances of your life, no matter the darkness, the depths, the rainstorms, wherever you are in this moment in your life, God loves you. You could have been running for 10 years from God. He's still there. He loves you. God is our good, good Father. And he loves us as his children. So we pray to the Father through the Son. We pray to the Father through the Son. And so as we pray to the Father, there has to be an understanding. There has to be an understanding that we are so undeserving to pray to our Father. In our own strength and power, we have absolutely no right. You and I, we have no right in who we are to approach our Father in heaven. And so I like to think of it this way. If I showed up today to a king's palace unknowingly, and I walked up to that gate, and I said, I'm here to see the king, all of the king's men would say, no, we don't know who you are. There is nothing about you good enough or understood enough to cause us to allow you into the presence of the king. However, imagine with me if I arrived at the same palace riding in a chariot with the king's son. And as the guards, the king's men, granted access to the prince, one might ask, sir, who is this? To which the son would reply, he's with me. I am escorting him to my father. As a matter of fact, he's my new adopted brother. He's a part of this royal family. And in this moment, I am no longer a stranger, but instead, I am a child. I am a part of the royal family. And so now, full access has been granted to me, to the king, to my father. Because my adopted brother has escorted me to the king. And so verse 17 of Romans 8 that I just referenced continues in this way. If children, so if we're children of God, then we're also heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We inherit what Jesus Christ inherits from God. Jesus, in essence, then, we understand, is our brother. And he alone ushers us into the presence of our heavenly Father. And this matters so very much for you and me because Scripture teaches us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. And so you and I, we do not have relationship with the Father except through Jesus. Except through Jesus. Jesus earned our right to the Father. See, you and I, we cannot earn our right to the Father. You and I cannot use enough lofty words and grand theological ideas and themes, and we can't 
conjure up enough people and gather enough people and pray as hard as we want to get to the Father except through Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And this is true in our lives every single day. It's only by the grace and the power of Jesus that we can go to the Father. So every time we pray, we pray in the name of Jesus, knowing and believing that there is no prayer to the Father apart from the perfect work of Jesus Christ in our lives. His sacrificial death, his perfect life, his perfect sacrificial death, and his conquering of death through resurrection is the bought payment that allows you and I into the presence of the Father. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 are glorious truths of who Jesus is within our prayers. He's our access, but also it says there too, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. This is who Jesus is. Jesus is our great high priest. He provides us access to the Father. And listen, this morning, I want to encourage you, anytime you have a prayer request, please always call me. Please always call Joshua. Please call our deacons. Please call your friends. But never, ever, ever as a child of God, believe that someone else has better access to the Father than you. Because we all have Jesus, and he is our great high priest. And so we seek the Father through Jesus Christ. Knowing, this is what I love, that he sympathizes with us. So as you pray, To Jesus, understand that he understands you. Understand that because of who Jesus is, the one who took on flesh, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but lowered himself into this world. He knows what it means to live in this world in flesh, but yet he did it without sin, all the while being able to sympathize with you and me. All the while being able to help you and me in every circumstance of this life. And because of who he is, we can confidently, confidently come before the throne of grace. One of the things that I love about being a dad is watching my children boldly and confidently just approach my presence. They're never concerned about coming into my presence, and I thank God for that. And that's the way, too, that we can go to our Father through Jesus. Because of who he is, we can confidently access our Father. So we pray to the Father through the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have a Father who receives us as a Savior. Or who receives us, a Savior who grants us access to the Father, and we have a Holy Spirit who empowers all of our prayers. Jesus promised his disciples in John 14, as he was getting ready to leave his earth, as his death was imminent, that he was going to send a helper, the spirit of truth. Ephesians 1, 
There, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul teaches us, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so each of us, if we have trusted in the good work of Jesus, if we have placed our faith and trust in him to save us unto eternal life, we have a deposit in our lives. There is a deposit, a guarantee in each of our lives, and he is the Holy Spirit. And so just as a king, to keep in line with that idea, would place an insignia seal on any letter going out from his kingdom to give marking of that this was to be held in high regard. You and I have the insignia of our God in heaven placed upon our hearts, and he is the Holy Spirit. He marks us. He guarantees us. And that same Holy Spirit, he is working in our lives daily to counsel, comfort, and keep us. And so if you have wrestled with these questions, am I truly saved? Will I really make it to heaven? Let me remind you this morning of the power of God that has been placed in your life. To hold and to keep you. To guarantee you. And so it's not based upon what we did yesterday. It's not based upon how we acted this morning. It's not based upon how we acted 20 years ago. It is based upon the fact of who the Holy Spirit is and his commitment to our lives to guarantee us until we breathe our final breath and walk into glory. Until that very moment, you and I have been guaranteed. And that same Holy Spirit, he empowers our prayers Romans 8, 26 to 27 says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with the groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts know what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Remember, as Jesus, last week we looked at, he says these words, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so when we rely upon the Holy Spirit in our prayers, he intercedes for us according to the will of God, and he and he alone align our heart's desires with the desires of our God in heaven. And so you and I, we need the guidance and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And let's be honest. There are times we find ourselves before the Father in prayer and we don't even know what to say. If I'm being truly honest with you, in the past few months, as wonderful as they have been, they have also come with weight and gravity. We buried a dear brother in Christ, Mr. Cal Orr, just a few months ago. We buried another dear brother in Christ just yesterday. I have known friends some close to my own age who have been buried due to sickness. I've known others who have been fighting battles mentally, emotionally, physically. I've watched a young girl who I love dearly suffer for the last year with an illness that most likely will take her life. 
And I have found myself before my Father in heaven speechless at times. Not knowing exactly what to say. Not sure how to pray or what to pray. Asking God to take my selfish desires away and to place his desires in my heart and to help me understand accordingly his will and what it is, what he is doing. And in those moments when I don't know what to pray or how to pray, God promises me that the Holy Spirit does. He intercedes for me. He intercedes for you, groaning too deep for words, knowing how to make our hearts more and more like God's. And so God desires this for in our prayers. God doesn't want you and me to be fake in our prayers. There are times when we will not know what to say. There will be times we will not know what to do, but he has given us a Holy Spirit to change our hearts, to shape our hearts and mold them. And so we pray to the Father through Jesus the Son and by the power of of the Holy Spirit. As I finish this morning, I want us to understand that this is what makes prayer such a beautiful gift for God. This is why prayer should be the central portion of our relationship with Him. And I also want to encourage us this morning, too, that while we pray to the Father, we understand and know that as we pray through the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that those persons are present in our prayers as well. And I would encourage us, let's, too, pray to those persons of the Godhead. Praying to the Father, praying to the Son, thanking Jesus daily. Jesus, thank you for the blood. Thank you for what you've done in my life. Holy Spirit, thank you for being the deposit and the guarantee in my life. Thank you for sustaining me and encouraging me and keeping me and comforting me. Let's let our prayers be prayers that are triune. Knowing who our God is. And so pray. As a church, let's pray. It's essential to our relationship with God. It's our lifeblood. And I want to close this morning with a quote that just popped up in my social media this week. A quote from Alistair Begg. He said, we are not to close down prayer for a while if we don't feel like it or have little spare time for a season. If we want to live for Jesus when we're under pressure, our prayer lives must be consistent. We must regard prayer as a fundamental element of our faith. Hear this, not merely a nice supplement. See, prayer isn't supplemental. It's non-negotiable. It's got to be true of our lives. If we're going to live for God, prayer has to be true of our lives. And I want to continue to encourage us as a church to commit, to commit to praying. I don't know where you are in your prayer life. Some of you may pray hours a day. Some of you in this room, you may not pray at all. Let me just encourage you today, start. If you didn't pray yesterday, if you haven't prayed today, just say, I'm going to give God 60 seconds. 
And look what he does. I promise you, he'll work. 60 seconds, he'll turn around and look and 10 minutes have gone. And don't hear me saying that either. It's not about time. Just spend time with God. When we're in fellowship with the ones we love, the, the clock goes away. Just commit to showing up with God. Saying, here I am, God. I want to talk to you. And understand what he's done in your life to allow you this opportunity. Father in heaven, we love you. 